0: Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Yeah, wow. I I said to uh, John on the way here from the hotel, I do hope that what happened the last time when I was here does not happen again, because about two days after we had the conference, everything shut down. Um, So I'm in deep intercession that nothing is going to shut down just yet. it is such a joy to be with you. I am super excited about today. And I'm trusting that Jesus will help me communicate really well. Um, I just before I do, though, I do want to say a few things that um, I think really important for you to know. This last year has been, as for many people, and I'll share a little bit about this in my own, uh, in as I preach. It's been a really interesting year, to say the least. Um, it's been super. Um, difficult for many of us. Um, but one of the things that I love about the garden, and I want you to, to recognise this, I want you to understand this, is that your impact goes way beyond what's happening in Long Beach. In fact, your impact is reaching the cold East Coast. Um, up north in Boston, Uh, because of our relationship with this church, because of um, our relationship with uh, Pastors Darren and and Alex, um, we've been really carried by love and support. If you don't know, Darren is one of the key voices into our local community and has preached for us and just incredible insight and wisdom. And I really want to honour what God is doing with you. I kind of feel like this church is in a... A space and in a place for increase and greater influence than just this locality. Um, I love the sense of family that we're getting here, but I do want to say to you, Garden Church, there's a whole lot more. And uh, we're recipients of what you guys are doing here in community uh, by way of friendship and by way of um, us copying everything you do in Boston. I said, I've got, I've got my friend Jeshua down here. Joshua's one of the directors in our church, and also the creative director for our ministry. I said, can take photos, take notes, because we're going to do everything copy, cut, paste, in Boston. Um, so thank you, thank you for being an amazing church that's blessing not only Long Beach but um, the East Coast uh, and, and Boston in particular. What you can in your Bibles, please, I'm going to carry on uh, in the series that you guys have been doing around um, the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm going to be picking up from where um, Pastor Bill left off last week in Matthew chapter 6 from verse 25, and uh, I feel like there could not be more of a prophetic scripture that could be read at this time in the season for today, uh, than these verses here. Verse 25 of Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the word. That is a good word right there. Um, What a year it's been, right? So I just want to give you a little insight into, into my world over the last 18 months um, and I'm going to just share a little bit vulnerably about my journey of having uh, moments of anxiety and fear trying to overtake me and how this scripture is meant to be a foundation for us to walk in overcoming fear and anxiety. I feel like very often we settle as the church for a um, level of anxiety and fear that we think is normal, but actually is contrary to the way of Jesus. This last year, two years, we moved. In fact, when we were here the last time um, in Long Beach as a family, we were getting ready to process visas. We were getting ready to move from South Africa to uh, the United States uh, to make Boston our home. Uh, and we were moving particularly to Plana Church, which is incredible. We've seen God do some incredible things this year, incredible growth. And uh, as we moved... Um, I think we moved May 2020, we moved to Boston, um, got settled. Um, It was uh, a day later when uh, the George Floyd protest kicked off. Now, if you know anything about me, my history is that I'm South African, uh, born and bred. If you haven't figured out, that the accent is not Australian, it is South African. Um, Just be very clear about that. I uh, grew up in South Africa the first half of my life under what was uh, an oppressive demonic regime called apartheid. Because of the color of my skin, I couldn't hang out with white people. I couldn't live in a white area. I wasn't afforded the education that um, white people were afforded. I could go on and on. It was a tricky, hard time, to say the least. And in my childhood, I remember days when... Um, Particularly in the 80s, there were significant riots that happened. And literally, um, the police and um, government officials opening fire in schools. I was in one of those schools. I remember having to lay my face down as a kid under the desk while there were bullets going through the windows. That was my upbringing. So we moved to Boston, the land of the free. And the next day that we get there, things are going crazy. Everything from my past suddenly kickstarted started in my own head and heart, and I came under the anxiety and the fear that was dominant in the city. It was just absolutely crazy. Fast forward a few months later, my mum, uh, who'd been struggling with illness for a long time, suddenly uh, passed away um, just two days after Christmas, an incredibly difficult time, um, my mom is an, is an amazing woman, and so it was really tricky um, and really difficult. All the while, we're planting church. All the while, we're gathering community. We uh, started with maybe, I think, 10 of us uh, gathered together and seeing God begin to do something, sensing that God was on the move. I don't know if you know this, but often in the kingdom of God, we see this tension of what looks like two opposites, great victory and great battle. And one of the things I've learned is not to try and resolve either one, but to try and hold tension in the context of my relationship with my good father. And so a few about a month later, I got a call from uh, my sister living in South Africa. All my family are still in South Africa saying, uh, Dad has got septicemia, a blood uh, problem, blood poisoning. It doesn't look like he's going to make it through the night. So this is about a month after my mum passed away. Um, I could not get to South Africa because of a jolly thing called COVID. Um, And I'm like, what am I going to do? How am I going to get there? I haven't had a time. I was kind of prepared for my mum passing away, but I was not prepared for my dad passing away, and it was incredibly difficult. The next three or four months saw um, numbers of phone calls back and forward, saying dad's about to die, you need to talk to him. I won't go into all of the details, it was crazy, but praise God, he is alive and well every little part, yeah. Um Again, I don't have enough time to tell you literally what the miracle was uh, that even the doctors were saying, this is unusual, uh, because doctors don't like to use the word miracle, do they, very often. This is unusual in our opinion. Um, all of the diagnoses that came with the septicemia was completely reversed, and my dad is well and fully functioning, which I am grateful to Jesus for. But you can just imagine reading a scripture like this, do not be anxious for anything in those moments, is really difficult. Now just to add a little bit more to this story, um, are you guys feeling sorry for me yet? <laughs> add a little bit more to the story, we're living in Boston I think it's the third most expensive city in America. Sweet Jesus. <laughs> the South African rand does not go very far in America, let alone Boston. And so we're thinking, Jesus, we need some big miracles. Uh, again, I won't go into all the details, but uh, we need a big sum of money just to put our kids to school. And um, I'm like, Jesus, do not be anxious or afraid. Do not fear, do not, I'm like, these verses are crazy. I mean, do you ever have that kind of honest conversation, dialogue with God, like, what on earth are you saying to me? (laughs) And whilst we are in the process of seeing God work some victories out for us, whilst we don't have all the answers yet, I can confidently tell you today, do not. Be anxious about your life. Because I've seen God's goodness in the most extravagant ways. So I was just saying uh, to John on the way here, yeah, somebody offered to pay for our kids' schooling just in the last three weeks for the entire year. I'm like, Jesus, yes! I've been freaking out about this for a long time. <laughs> Do not be anxious or fearful for anything. You know, this verse follows on from the previous verses. Jesus says to them, therefore, because it's, it's connected to the verse before, and the verse before talks about the God of mammon or the God of the universe, and he invites us in this conversation to figure out who or what we worship before we ever understand about Provision. And I, I know Pastor Bill has done a great job teaching around this. I know Darren's done a great job teaching around some of these things. And I, I want to encourage you in the words of, um, I think it's Scott McKnight. He says this, anxiety is a good barometer of the God that you serve. And and I understand that anxiety is at an all-time high in our society. I understand that there are chemical dynamics, there are physiological dynamics that impact our, our predisposition toward anxiety. I understand that... Circumstances are pressing in. I am trying to avoid the news at all costs at the moment uh, because every time I look again, there's something else happening. We've got, I've got friends that are stuck in Afghanistan at the moment. So the, the dynamic of anxiety is at an all-time high. I don't know if you can feel that. If you can't, we need to pray for you some more because it's a real thing. It's real. But the way of the kingdom calls us to a place of expectation, a place of anticipation and a place of hope that God has not brought us to where we are to leave us where we are, that God is at work in the world to change everything and redeem everything, that our best days are actually ahead of us, not behind us, and that he still is large and in charge of what's going on. He's not disconnected, he's not removed, but he is right in the mess With us. And when you understand something of this, you begin to realize that we're invited into a journey that actually is not about how hard we work at trying to be positive. It's not about a journey of how hard we work at trying to faith our way into something, but actually it's about our posture of entering in to the happy life of Jesus. You see, Jesus is telling these words to his followers, to his disciples, in the context of what's called an eschatological worldview, a a worldview that is talking about a new age of his kingdom breaking in. Jesus is the one who's bringing this kingdom and he's the one who knows how the kingdom um, will fully come and he's the one who's at the beginning and at the end. And as a man, he's talking to his disciples and he's saying, "I, I want you not to be anxious. I don't know if you've noticed anything, About Jesus, but he seemed real happy in the Bible, in the gospel encounters. And and it struck me as I'm reading this how does a man live in happiness? The Bible says he was anointed with the oil of joy above his companions. How does he live in happiness knowing that just in a few years' time he's going to experience the worst kind of death possible? That he's going to walk into the most difficult moment that the pressure will be so much that he will sweat blood in a garden called Gethsemane. And he's saying to his disciples, uh, uh, do not worry. Do you notice this is not a optional extra. This is a biblical command. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. And I remember thinking, how do you do that? How do you tell your disciples Well, get on with it then. Don't worry. And you know that on the other end of this journey for you, it's going to look like pain. It's going to look like suffering. But there's something so beautiful about the life of Jesus, which we now get to enter into, is that He understands that the kingdom that He is bringing is not of this world, but it is for this world. He understands that not only is he to expect the future goodness of God, but he's to, enjoy, he's to enjoy the goodness of God right here, right now. And he enters into this command to the disciples, expecting them to live in a place of worry-free, anxiety-free life. I want to suggest to you that Jesus never commands us something that he doesn't empower us to walk out. I want to say that again, Jesus never commands something of us that he doesn't empower us to walk in. In other words, this verse, do not be anxious, do not worry, is Jesus inviting us to enter into his life, enter into who he is, so we get to walk in the overflow of his reality In our life, it's incredible. George Eldon Ladd, a great theologian around the kingdom of God, makes this great statement. He says that the words of God, um, in and of themselves, carry the power to accomplish what they demand. (laughs) That's a good word. Because what Jesus is saying to us was not just a little pep talk, just a little there, there, don't worry, you're going to be okay. He was saying, I'm inviting you to live in the power and the demonstration of my kingdom. As an example and as a light to those around us, I want to say to you, it is not okay for the church to settle with We're all just anxious. We're all just struggling. It's not okay for us to settle and say, it's going to be fine. We just need to get through and process a little bit more when what the kingdom of God offers us is a hope-filled life full of the expectation that God wants to break in to our mess and transform it. Please hear me. I'm not saying we don't process. I'm not saying we don't talk about our anxiety. What I am saying is we don't put the full stop, the period right there. Because we're living in an expectation that if God, if Jesus commands us not to worry, that He wants to empower us to do so. You see, the antidote to worry is an undivided pursuit of the kingdom. See, Jesus says, Do not be anxious, do not worry, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. I, I find it very interesting reading um, this particular text um, right now in America from when I used to read it when I was living in South Africa. I grew up in um, relative poverty uh, in terms of um, relative to American wealth and Western world wealth. Um, we had a lot of our needs we really had to believe God for so like I grew up at times we would have to pray for food it wasn't like we were hoping uh, that you know we could get a check in the mail we literally just had to believe God the way the system worked in South Africa was to suppress um, people so everything for us living under a project meant that we had to expect God to break in and if he didn't we'd be getting in the water effectively and it's incredible when you live in that place because that kind of dependency produces miracles. <laughs> we, we've seen, I've seen literally food multiplication happen a number of times. My mama, she's so crazy sometimes. I was like, she'd be like, we don't have enough food. Let's invite another family to come and share our meal with us. And we would see the food multiply and not just once or twice. I've seen that happen three or four times. Uh, we would, you know, a doorbell would go in our tiny house And we get to the porch, and by the time we got there, and it was a tiny house, and we had a big window so we could see who was out front, there was a porch filled with groceries. That happened a number of times, um, where God just provided at the right time, in the right moment, because when you don't have any other option than God... (laughs) People often ask me, why is it that miracles seem to happen so easily in Africa? Because they don't have enough doctors. There are no other options. Yeah, when I read it in the West, it's crazy. I remember going to um, a, a uh, food store for the first time when I came to America. I mean, my word, the, the cereal aisle caused me anxiety. <laughs> There were so many choices of every kind of flavour, every kind of whatever. You can see that I've made up for cereal right now. Very unhealthy. And the fear of, of choosing the wrong one. I was like, I-, I need to get the right one just for me. <laughs> needs to be the right flavour. I mean, it, it was anxiety inducing in and of itself. And I wonder when we read this text, if for the West, the problem isn't our dependency, but the abundance of choice that we now have. It's not, is God going to give us clothes? It's whether he's going to give us the right kind of clothes. <laughs> and the abundance of choice, actually, psychologists tell, tell us this, I was to a psychologist friend of mine, that And the difference between Western world context and developing world context on happiness levels um, all boils down to the fact that in the West there are so many choices that it's caused the complexity of emotion and anxiety has been birthed out of the options that we now have. In developing world context, you don't have options, and I've seen some of the happiest people living in a shack in the middle of nowhere. And I I wonder if we've come under the curse of FOMO, fear of missing out, that we live in a place of anxiety because we're afraid we're going to miss out on something. And the antidote to this is to seek first the kingdom of God. The word for warrior actually means a divided mind in the original language. It means a fragmented mind with too many um, runaway paths, if I could use that illustration. And I believe the Lord is inviting the Western bride again to make him the first option and the only option. I believe God's inviting you and me, he's inviting the church into a holy pursuit of seeking his kingdom first. First. Because when his kingdom is the only option, everything else fades and it looks like cheap costume jewelry in comparison to the pursuit of who he is. See, the antidote is not to give you more choices. I find it fascinating that we celebrate freedom because we get to choose, but in the kingdom, uh, the antidote is not more choices the antidote to worry is not more choices, more options. The antidote to worry is a single hearted pursuit of his kingdom, of his gracious rule and reign, and his righteousness. We must choose the way of the kingdom. And here's the thing about the kingdom of God. Our life is bookended by the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and the soon coming return of Jesus. Our life is bookended by that. We live in the tension of what's called the now and the not yet. And the good news is because God is at work in, the, in this world because the kingdom, although it is not of this world, is for this world. God is at work at making all things new. I'm going to say that one more time so you get real happy. God is at work in your life And everything that has come under the curse of worry and fear, everything that you're concerned about in the future, God is already there making things new on your behalf. That's the hope of the gospel. You see, the truth is this. Christ died, Christ is risen, Christ is coming back again, and he will and he is making everything new. Yeah, I think that deserved a hand clap. <laughs> Here's the thing. I love what, uh, what the Bible calls us to. Jesus is talking to them, and he says, have you seen all of this beauty around you? Just by the way, God is not offended by beautiful things. He really likes that. Like, um, I think sometimes people use this text Um, as an opportunity to talk about living a life that is void of beauty and living a life of sterility and black and white, when actually the whole point of the scripture is that God is so concerned about making things beautiful. And the original language here doesn't quite capture the sense of diversity. When he talks about the lilies of the field, he's actually talking about numbers of different kinds of plants. When he's talking about the birds in the air, how they do not work for their clothing or their covering, it's a beautiful, Beautiful picture. It's not just some black and white on the pages picture. It is actually a picture filled with beauty, filled with extravagance. And God says, How much more do I care for you? <laughs> He's not wanting to leave you just, you know, settling for ordinary. God actually wants to bless you. Now, some people might accuse me of being a prosperity preacher, and that's okay. You can do that. I don't mind. I probably am guilty. But what I do know is that God wants to bless you beyond what you could imagine, ask, or think. That's good news, right? Beauty is an important part of what God's doing and what God wants to restore for us. It's why this community is so stunning. Different colours, different languages, different backgrounds, reflecting the beauty and diversity of God. You're an outpost, a prophetic picture of what God wants to do in the world. And I love this. He says to them, Oh, you of little faith. Now, I want to just lean in here a little bit and then I'm going to try and wrap up because I know the meeting's gone on. So I want to do some ministry. So I believe God wants to set some people free from worrying here today. He says, Oh, you of little faith. When Jesus uses this term, it's actually quite interesting because he uses this term a number of other times, most often when his disciples are in a place of trouble or when they're not able to discern what he's actually doing. And I remember when Jesus says to the disciples in that storm, you remember the story, the gospel writers tell us so um, eloquently, the storm is raging against the boat. They are, the disciples are in the boat thinking, what on earth is going to happen? They run up to Jesus who is sleeping in the middle of a storm. Worry-free life. And he, they said to him, do you not care that we're about to drown? <laughs> and Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. And then he stills the storm, which is absolutely beautiful. And when Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, what he's doing is not rebuking them, but he's responding to the question that they were asking earlier. Do you not care. In this context, he's doing exactly the same. Do you see how everything's growing? Oh, you of little faith, if God is caring for everything, how much more will he care for you? The problem for many of us is we're still not convinced that God is good and that he's going to care for us even in the midst of difficulties. Guys, until we understand the extravagant, over-the-top, outrageous kindness of your heavenly Papa, we will never be able to live worry-free because faith is never connected to my ability to believe. Faith is connected to the character of God's goodness. You see, the key to worry-free life is not me trying to do some more self-talk I was talking to a friend this weekend. He was talking about manifesting your destiny through declarations. That doesn't work if you don't know who the one is who's working out your destiny on your behalf. God's inviting us to become more convinced about his goodness. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, that Sarah considered him who promised faithful. And she received her promise. That word considered there is literally the word lead. In other words, she allowed the leading thoughts of God's faithfulness to be the security to her promise that she had not seen. When you allow the leading thought of God's goodness to overwhelm your circumstance, worry begins to lift off of you. Brothers and sisters what's the leading thought in your head? You see, faith faces the facts in real time. When I was sitting at 4.30 in the morning after having get, gotten call that my dad was possibly going to die, I sat on the couch not able to pray. I couldn't, I couldn't pray anything. I couldn't prophesy. I could do deadly squats. But I settled and resolved, God, you are good. You know, I heard the Lord say, son, much like I think one of the young people testified, I I got you. Now, you need to understand that that was the only thing I got from him for a three-month period thinking that my dad was going to die. All I had was, I got you. I'm like, give me a little bit more, Jesus. But because I have seen God's goodness in my worst moments and my best moments, I am convinced, not only because I've experienced it, but because the cross and the resurrection guarantees it. (laughs) Man, I'm getting happier. Just that thought myself. I mean, that's just outrageous. The cross and his resurrection guarantees that sooner or later, his goodness is going to overwhelm your circumstance. Tomorrow will take care of itself. I love this. Jesus is talking right here about the kingdom of God. Because when you understand the dynamic of God's kingdom, that when he showed up, he inaugurated, he brought the kingdom. He said, this is what the kingdom looks like. No sickness, no disease, provision, clarity, connectedness to a good father, understanding that God's not angry, but that he's kind and loving, that he's a good papa. He demonstrates the kingdom for us and then he says to us when he goes to heaven, there's still some more coming. And we're living in this tension, in this overlap of expectation that there's still more goodness to be received. That even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of suffering, we're expecting an outcome of goodness. Our predisposition must be towards the goodness of God because that's where our faith rests. I love what. Corey Kangboom Boom says, an amazing woman of God, she says, this worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its power. Friends, God's inviting us to enter into the goodness of who Jesus is and the expectation that he wants to give us more. And there's this beautiful bit in here that I've always overlooked. It says that we are to... I want to just get there quickly. Um, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, the thing about the righteousness of God, the thing about the whole story, the whole teaching around the Sermon on the Mount, the thing about everything we see in Scripture is we cannot do anything in and of ourselves to make these things happen. We can't work harder. We can't pray harder. I certainly don't fast enough to try and get a bit better at being a Christian. There, There is absolutely nothing we can do to get this right. The point of the Sermon on the Mount is to make it so impossible for you to live by that you have to access the right living of Jesus as the source of your now right living. That's what righteousness means. It's the right Jesus living perfectly, 100% correct, obeying every aspect of not only the um, external realities of God's law, but the internal. In other words, he wanted to obey God. And that right living, the Bible says, has been given as a gift called righteousness to us. And the way that we now live in the fulfillment of this is not by us trying to break a sweat, but it is by us resting in the finished work of Jesus and allowing his righteousness to work itself out in us. This is what the Apostle Peter writes in the context of one of the worst Dictatorships ever, right in the context of one of the worst times in history ever, he says this may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, through what? Through his promises. Through them you may become partakers of his divine nature. Here's the thing about this verse. It's an invitation not for us to try and mental gymnastics our way out of worry. It's an invitation to enter into the very life of Jesus so that He empowers us by His Spirit to always see things through the lens of His kingdom that God is at work making all things new. You see, one thing I've learned in this last season is that worry really doesn't add much to your life. It only takes things away. But when you lean into Him, when you lean into the expectation of His goodness, it scares you. And when you allow the leading thought of His goodness to guide your response to every circumstance, you start to see the miraculous of God break out how do we do this? How do we live in the... How many of you know that God's not just called you to be imitators of Jesus? He's called you to be a participator with Jesus' divine life and righteousness. It means that there is an infusing by the Holy Spirit for us to do these things. How, how, How do we live a life that is free from worry? Well, the Sermon on the Mount is a manifesto of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not like anything we've seen on the earth. I'm so grateful that the kingdom of God is coming to Long Beach, coming to a school in Long Beach in, in Frank, called Franklin. I, I love what God's doing with the poor, the broken, the hurting, the rich, the, the different colours. The kingdom of God is looking a little bit like this. Making things new, it's a beautiful thing. If if your understanding of God's kingdom doesn't move you to live in a way that is other than the political and financial systems of this world, you haven't understood the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is his righteous rule and reign. And there's three things that we see Jesus tell us to do that comes directly from the result of changing the way you think. The Bible tells us that we're to repent. We could change the way we think. That's not just abstaining from sin, it's completely cleaning the way we think about sin, about brokenness, about racial inequality, about the poor, about injustice, about the miraculous power of God breaking into those spaces. We have to change the way we think because God is at work. We have to have a mind change, and there are three things that we're called to to do if we're to inherit and walk in the kingdom, and we see this particularly um, in the Gospel of John. The first thing is Jesus says, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If you are visiting this church today, and you're listening to this An interesting fellow from South Africa going on about his life. I want to say to you, the reason I'm going on about it is because I've encountered the resurrected Lord Jesus. Everything has changed for me. My sin is no longer counting against me. In fact, I've been freed from sin and all of its desire because Christ has now taken permanent residence in my heart by his Spirit. It's a beautiful thing. If you don't know what the gospel is, it's this. Your heavenly papa loves you more than you could ever know, and he wants to invite you to come home because home is where he is, and you do so because of Jesus and believing what he did on the cross. You start to see the world differently the moment you say, Jesus, you are king. Everything changes, and then he says, unless one is born again, you cannot see, but unless one is born of the Spirit, you cannot enter in. How many of you know that for many Christians, we can live on this side seeing the kingdom, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we enter into the kingdom. Because entering in comes by spirit empowerment. We cannot do this without the Holy Spirit. The last thing, and this is where I want to lean in, and then we're going to pray. I know for some of you, you might need to go and get your kids. Jesus says, see Enter, and he throws this little one somewhere in the middle of some of these stories. Unless you become like children, you cannot receive the kingdom. I want to suggest to you That in the world today, particularly in the West, we're so um, overcomplicated the words of Jesus and the works of Jesus that we have stripped it of its power. And actually the way we receive the outworking of the kingdom is not by trying to give an overcomplicated message. Listen, I'm in Boston. We even have Harvard University there. The thing I figured out about rich, clever people, they still need family. It's not difficult. The kingdom is not difficult. And I want to invite you to a childlike wonder again. If you've lost your fascination with Jesus, if you've lost your wonder at his goodness, God wants to invite you today to live in that space. The how is simpler than you think. See, enter by the Spirit, and receive like a wide-eyed child. My son Ezekiel is five years old. God bless me and God help me. I love him so much. But it's incredible. The utter security he has in my leadership over his life. He's willing to push any boundary that I've set because he knows, ultimately, I love him. I want to invite you to a childlike fascination. You don't have to overcomplicate it. You just need to receive the kingdom of God. Can I have the worship team up? Do we need to release some parents if you need to go and get your kids? We've got five more minutes? Great. I'm going to take five more minutes and um, just feel like the Lord wants to do something. I felt the Lord saying to me he wants to break the back of anxiety. Now, I've seen a number of people get set free from medicated anxiety numbers of times. Um, I have... I've seen a number of people get healed of fragmented personality disorders as God is broken in. I want to tell you, God heals all illnesses, including mental ones, mental health issues. I want to say this as I pray. Some of you are going to feel the Holy Spirit breaking in power. Please work with your doctor, with your practitioner, if you're on medication. I'm not inviting you to come off your medication. I'm inviting you to believe that God wants to do something radical in the midst of it and bring some healing. I do believe that medical miracles are miracles inspired by God, okay? You're hearing me? I'm just being pastorally kind here. Yeah. But I believe that the kingdom of God wants to breaking of with power. And I believe God wants to break worry. He wants to break anxiety. He wants to break sleep disorders. I once spoke in a church where I prayed for someone to receive a breakthrough in their sleep, and they literally fell asleep in the meeting and had to carry her home. And she slept all the way through. That was the morning meeting. She slept all the way through. Completely got restored her sleep patterns. I believe God wants to restore sleep patterns. For some of you, God wants to restore businesses. Some of you are so worried about financial issues with your business. And you need a business miracle. I believe God wants to release some breakthroughs for businesses. I believe God wants to break the back of anxiety off of you. Now, throughout all of these moments that I've just had in the last two years, whilst I was staying resolute in God's goodness, there were moments where I had neurological failures, where I suddenly was overcome by anxiety and fear. And I've learned that in that moment, the issue is not me trying to self-counsel myself out, but it's about worship. Because right at the beginning, God says you cannot serve two masters. You either love one or you hate the other. And I to come right back to saying, no matter what happens, I'm here to love on you, Jesus. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit Garden.Church.